Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing. We just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. How about this? Um, I know that the topic today is where you find inspiration. Um, so I'm sure Nicole will, will hop in as soon as she can. Um, and I, I played hooky yesterday, so I don't know where to begin based on where you guys were yesterday. Um, so if somebody kind of wants to, to take the wheel on finding that inspiration, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I was just sitting here seeing if anyone else was going to jump in, you know, I'll talk, I'll talk all day. That's fine. Um, so yeah, yesterday we were talking about ideas and how we formulate them and it was a really interesting discussion. If you weren't here yesterday and you want to go back and listen to the replay, go right ahead. Um, but today is if we're talking about inspiration, I didn't realize that that was going to be today's topic, but as luck would have it, um, a while back, I wrote an article about influence versus inspiration. And I think I've said it on the, the podcast a couple of times before where I think, you know, influence is that long term um, relationship with something, right? You listen to music and over time, if you become a musician, you'll probably have all these influences that, that entered your life at some point. You like their style or you like their music. Whereas inspiration is that melody that comes to you in the moment. It's that lightning strike. So that's how I've always defined influence versus inspiration. So if we're talking inspiration, which is interesting, you know, how do we go about defining that? Where do you get your inspiration from? Is it from things outside of your art? Is it from, um, you know, something within your art? You're seeing another photographer's work or another artist's work. Does that inspire you? Or does it come from sounds or sights or family? Or it can come from so many different places. So, you know, when we're talking about this, I know for me specifically, my inspiration comes not necessarily from a specific thing. It comes when I can quiet my mind. And that's where my mind isn't necessarily cluttered by all the other things that are going on in my life, right? It's the, the work and the client stuff and the bills and, you know, health and all those things it clutters my mind. When I'm able to quiet that down, I can finally start to just segment my thoughts out and let the thoughts that come, come. Sounds like meditation, because it's basically what it is. But those are the things that inspire me, because now I can just think creatively. It opens my brain up a little bit, and I'm able to just let it do what it do. And from that, I can find inspiration. Even if it's not inspiration, it's formulations of ideas, which I guess is the same thing. But those are the things, like we were talking about yesterday, writing them down, keeping an idea journal. All of those for me are bits and pieces of inspiration so that I don't forget them. Because if I don't put them to use, you know, what's the use of having the thought? Someone else will do it. So I want to ask you guys, 
you know, for me, it's quieting my mind. But Bassam, Kat, Becca, Nicole, if you're around, what does bring you inspiration? Um, I mean, that that definitely varies on one. Have you ever read the um, book Big Magic um, by Liz Gilbert? No, but I've heard you talk about it before. Yeah, she has the, and I'm trying to remember like the exact concept, but she talks about, you know, inspiration and you get a hit for a, a, an idea. And if you don't take action on it, it sort of, it'll sit with you for a moment. And if you don't take action, then it'll fly away to somebody else. Uh, which is sort of the really condensed version of her, her hypothesis there. Um, but it, it does work like that. And I love the idea of, of keeping a journal. I wish I were a little more intentional. I think that's why my, my saved albums on Instagram sort of go down these crazy rabbit holes. Uh, because I'll come back and be like, what on earth was I thinking? Like, what is that? And then, you know, suddenly I see somebody else has executed something beautifully. Uh, that I was like, oh, that's what I was intending. <laughs> uh, but inspiration can come from seeing somebody else's work. Inspiration can come, you know, from seeing light on a flower petal on a walk. It, you know, it just kind of depends on, you know, my headspace at the time. Um, and it can also come in the moment. Like it, my staff gets really excited when I stomp. Uh, when we're shooting, because when I stomp, it's gone from here's the recipe to execute this vision to, oh, now we're in flow. All right, cool. Let's go. Let's do this. Uh, and, you know, so creativity begets creativity. The more creative that you are in a process, the it just builds like compounding interest. So, yeah, it ranges from light on a flower petal to seeing something in a moment and lightning striking. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, the the journal thing was something that came out of uh, Parker Fister's workshops, right, where he had us writing a lot of stuff down, um, using other senses, and really driving home an inspiration exercise. And for those of you that don't know Parker Fister, um, please check out his work. It's P-F-I-S-T-E-R. And he teaches workshops on inspiration and creative, uh, creative photography. And a lot of it... Um, emulates from these exercises where you play a bit of music and you have to write a story just based on that, or you smell a spice and you have to write, you know, uh, a story based on that or color. And those bits make your brain work just a little bit differently and creatively. And, you know, he's always putting a time crunch on it as well so that you're forced into this, right? You have to produce something and you just let your mind go. I find it really effective um, but don't do it nearly enough. But during those workshops, we went through all these exercises and I started learning how to keep that journal, learning how to keep ideas written down, inspirational ideas, bits and fragments and pieces that could then develop into something later on. And Kat, yeah, you're right. If, if you don't do it, it will kind of find its home. The muse will find its home somewhere else. So I always kind of keep them written down because I feel like at least one, maybe someday I'll be able to act on this inspiration or two, I'll have proof that I wrote it down when someone else does it and be like, see, I thought of this first. Um, and that's probably more so why I, I write things down. Ah, I know ah, I came up with YouTube a long time ago. Um, how about you, Bassam or oh, Nicole? You can, be, can I be heard now? You can be heard. It's like okay. the heavens opened first, up. I had to turn around. 
down and go home and turn off my phone. <laughs> okay, I'm going to shut up and then I'll jump in later. Basam, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, my, uh, my inspiration is almost 100% from looking at what other people's work and looking at other people's processes and, and what they do and how they go about doing it. Um, I'm not very original when it comes to inspiration. So I, I see other work, I see other people doing their thing. It, it sparks in my mind. Uh, I, it's, it mulls in my mind. I take notes often in, in my phone. I, I don't like writing things by hand, but I take notes and I build on that, on that inspiration in, an, in, a, in spurts, right? Uh, I'll just be doing something and randomly an idea comes to mind related to the subject that, that whatever subject is, is at play. And then I would go write it down and write it down and write it down. Or I would start executing on something towards that idea, right? So whatever it happens to be, whether it happens to be a process or, 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 a, or, a, or a photo uh, project or a type of client theme, I will go execute on it. I'll start putting things down. I'll start creating it. Uh, and then, and like I talked yesterday about the iterative process, and I'll go through it in an iterative way. Um, I have not found a way to calm my mind. You talked about calming your mind, and I really admire people who do, and I admire the work you've done, Matt, to be able to get to that point. I have tried everything. I've tried meditation. I've tried you name it, and I have yet to succeed to say, hey, my mind is clear. I can sit there and think and, and explore. So almost everything I do is just in spurts and bits and pieces and all over the place, and, and maybe one day I'll learn how to do that. But I, I can see the benefit. I can, I can hear the benefit, but I have yet to succeed to, to getting there because I am pretty much convinced that if I can do that, it will open up a whole world to me uh, that I that I that I'm not taking advantage of today. So do you find with those bits and spurts of inspiration, do you find that you're doing something in particular when those come about? Are they completely random? Um, is there a theme that goes along with them? I just, I love, you know me, I like looking for trends, but is there anything there that you think is an environmental um, influence on you being inspired? being around actually, your no, kids or your family no, or you know anything no. like that no no actually I, I hate to disappoint you i wish i could say hey i've been influenced by this or that through you my life if i have it's it's really uh, not obvious to me um i'm just a practical roll my sleeves up do it type of guy i know how to put stuff together i'm pretty confident and you know when i get a few ideas i can shape them into something so i'm just kind of in a in that mode constantly uh, I don't know how what it's influenced by. I don't know where it comes from, but I, I can't I can't really point to something that's influenced how I go about it. There is no medium, there is no art that I would say, hey, listen, you know, music or or art or 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 whatever. Yeah, sorry, disappointment. <laughs> there's no there's no disappointment. I know, I know. <laughs> but I did I did it. I know, but I, you know, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. I mean, I it's. Uh, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and the last question that I'm going to dig in on this is, you know, you, you said you get inspiration from looking at other people's work and whatnot. Do you feel like in any of those cases that you ever get to the point where you're trying to emulate or do you say, all right, I get the theme that they're going for. I'm taking it in this completely different direction. I'm inspired that way. Or do you, um, 
you know, do you try to do something that they take and do a thematic um, betterment of that? Like if I take a picture of a farmer, would you take a picture of a farmer in a spacesuit? Like, you know, do you follow that same theme or do you take it a completely different direction? I'm just curious when you look at other people work. But mainly taking it in a different direction. I'll give a couple of examples. I've I've emulated and copied specific themes and pictures, right? I mean, I... Sure, yeah, we all do. We had a whole discussion about that. So we do that, right? But I'll give you an example of when I met uh, Cara Marie, and I didn't meet her in person, but it was at at one of the uh, Portrait Masters uh, conferences, and I had done zero maternity... uh, photo shoots and I got inspired by Karen Marie in multiple ways right first of all her style is very similar to what I like to do right and but where I got inspired from her by her is how she goes about it her business model what she does the small details so what I go and I started studying her and I bought her courses and I and then what I did is I took bits and pieces of what she does along bits and pieces of what I've learned from boudoir photography because it's kind of a combined combined uh, uh, style and I make it my own. And if you look at it, it's it's not like Lola, Lola, it's not like Lola Milani's work. Maybe one or two pictures may look similar. I mean, we all there's so much magic you can do with light, right? Uh, but I do make it my own, and and I and I adapt. Uh, so I'm inspired by the idea and how people go about things and how they succeed. Uh, but technically speaking, I'm at a point right now where you know it. it, it I learn bits and pieces, but I kind of put it together myself at the end. Nice. I like that. And yeah, I think you have a very distinct style. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at it and say that it was heavily influenced by one person or another, but I see what you're saying. Um, Becca, good morning. Good morning. Oh, wow. There's the coffee. Um, inspiration. Where do you get it? So I uh, definitely live at the whims of the muses and a younger Becca thought that was kind of a superpower and a more mature Becca definitely sees it as a bit of a crutch because I have to be able to find inspiration in some way or another more regularly than whenever that lightning strike hits. And I find that the most, the easiest way or fastest way for me to jumpstart that process is really just exposure to many, many things, particularly things outside of my own particular realm of art. And uh, when I do find myself looking at like fantasy photography or fantasy film, fantasy illustration that I like, that tends to fall more into the realm of influence. Like maybe I see a technique that I particularly like or, you know, a a theme that I really want to explore that inspires me. But when it comes to the more mm, kind of organic inspiration, if you will, um, I spend a lot of time doing research. So, for instance, when I'm working with clients, uh, I... I love the the briefing process with a client when we're first speaking about their idea because that really inspires me the first time hearing that idea. it's That's when I start getting the visions playing in my head over and over again. But moving out of that, then I have to start finding inspiration from other sources. So I spend a lot of time looking at things like archaeological artifacts or reading things. And maybe there's just like a couple words together that spark something in me. Or, you know, maybe just someone's name, even the way the letters sit together or, you know, just the way something is described uh, will often spark something in me. So as much exposure as I can get to other things or even watching like nature documentaries and looking at the way that an animal moves or a plant grows or something there, um, 
really, really does the trick for me. But like Kat said, like sometimes it's as simple as the light on a flower, right? Or the way that two colors are interacting next to each other. And a lot of it comes down to feeling just the way that something makes me feel. Is there a line in the song that really, truly moves me or even the pitch in someone's voice? Like, what did that make me feel? Did it move me to tears? And then what do I see inside my head? So the, the feeling and the exposure are top hitters for me. Yeah, the, the emotional impact, I think, can't be understated. When something moves you, your brain starts to work a little bit differently and you start to imagine different things. I hadn't even really considered that uh, at the beginning of this call. But yeah, the emotional side of it is really what drives, for me, quite a bit of that inspiration right? Is you're feeling a certain thing. Wow. That's great. So simple. So easy. I mean, it is right. Like when you like, I don't know, even, even within the realm of like photography, like when you meet someone and you get that feel for them, if you're going to shoot a portrait, like that totally. feeling is going to help inspire how you approach that sense of portraiture. Right. Um, or even things like if you are just casually taking photos for yourself, maybe it's the way you feel about you know the, how your kids are playing in the yard. And, you know, there's, maybe some fog there. There's, you know, the light catching in the water from the sprinkler or something. It's making you feel something and you want to capture that artistically, whatever that artistic medium might be. Or even in the case of other things, like when you are working with more physical things, like if you're building a costume and you're exploring the feel of a fabric, what does it look like? How does it evoke a feeling in you? And how are you going to tie that into your costume design? Like there's so much feeling there that's tapping or that your brain taps into to help develop that idea. You know, one of my favorite quotes has always been, you can ask your brain a question and it will always give you the right answer, right? <laughs> Where if, if you, <laughs> what's that? Say again. We have different brains. <laughs> we have different brains, yeah. No, but it, it will always give you the correct answer, right? If you think you can do something, you can. If you think you can't, you won't, right? And it's all that sort of thing. But when you start to feel something, your brain will instantly start flooding, you know, connections into your brain and it'll start to give you emotions and flashes of inspiration and it'll manifest itself in so many different ways. Right. And I, th I love that image of kids in the backyard playing and you pick up your camera and then that starts to build, um, you know, you back into your art and it creates that feeling of passion and connectedness. And then you just start to make pictures. And they don't have to be good. They don't have to be for, you know, for a wall or anything, but you're just out there creating. And I love that inspiration. That was a great example. Um, Nicole, welcome back. Hello. And as I've stumbled through the first 22 minutes of this call, I recognize um, that you, quite frankly, inspire me with your <laughs> gift of speech. Um, something clearly that I need to be now influenced by. Um, but... You know, not knowing uh, what the, the topic was going to be, is this the direction in which you wanted to take the inspirational conversation? Talk yes, to me. What inspires you? Indeed it is. And here I was the whole time thinking, God, Matt's doing such a great job. <laughs> See, we, ha we talked about this, sir. I know, I know. Um, I know. So, no, I was actually thinking, um, for me, it's interesting listening to everybody so far and the, the different ways that inspiration strikes or doesn't strike and how we move from that and becca's example of just being exposed to many things strikes incredibly true for me and uh if you were to see my bedside table this would become abundantly clear because 
sitting next to my bedside table is a pile of books and there are journals. There are books on theoretical physics. There are Jane Austen novels. Um, and there are, you know, self-help books like Atomic Habits. So I have this huge just pile of randomosity sitting on my bedside table. But that is one of the reasons that, Becca, you mentioned kind of um, being a slave to the muses. I am as well, except it's more like they, it, um, it never stops. So it's not like I'm waiting on them to be like, hey, here's a great idea. There's just ideas all the time. And I think that that is a little bit of probably what drives my anxiety. It's kind of been said that, you know, the, the biggest problem creative people have is the, their imaginations because it, it takes you off in fantastic directions for creation. It also drags you down really horrible roads when your mind picks up on something. You really, it's like, it doesn't feel good to imagine those things like catastrophic things. The problem, it's not a problem, I guess it depends on how you look at it, but the way that my head works is as soon as I have an idea, I can visualize it. So I will see a picture in my head and I'll give you an example. Yesterday, so my husband and I have started watching Yellowstone. He really likes it. Um, I find it intriguing if unlikely. <laughs> and um, most of the time I spend thinking, oh my God, these people are horrible people. <laughs> um, and yet, you know, I continue watching the show with him. And, and obviously there's a lot of father-son dynamic that happens in that. And it's completely in the opposite direction from what I witnessed with my husband and our sons. And yesterday we were talking about the fact that my middle child is about to turn 14. And in our family, we decided that we wanted to have some kind of rites of passage for our boys when they started to reach this age um, a similar age to historically where rites of passage have been for young men because our Western society, particularly in America, we don't have those rites of passage. And so I, I think that there is a real ceremonial importance to feeling like you have crossed the threshold into adulthood and into manhood, particularly for my boys. So my husband takes them out. They call it the man hike. So when they turn 14, they go out on a really grueling few day hike. They have to pack everything that they're gonna use and on their backs. And the boys are the ones that have to prepare everything. And so we were talking about this process and my husband is you know, the one who takes them out and does the whole, does the whole, you're now a man thing. And I was thinking to myself, God, that would be a really fantastic story about what would happen if a father takes his son out for this kind of manhood ceremony thing, but something goes wrong and it ends up not being the father who, you know, brings the son into manhood, but the son who brings the father back alive. And that journey is the one that, you know, through hardship that allows him to grow. And as I'm thinking this to myself, I'm watching a movie in my head so I can see what would be flashes from a movie happening. I can see the son, you know, dragging the father along or like them having an argument, I can visualize that. And I don't do it on purpose, it just happens. So imagine anytime you have a random thought where you're like, oh, that's interesting. Imagine a visual picture showing up with it and you'll have a decent idea of what it's like to live in my brain. And I'm bombarded with this all the time. So um, it's almost like the muses are just right, they're gonna ride me till I drop is what it feels like. Um, but the exposure to all of this different stuff, to 
science and physics and uh, well, obviously those fall under the same umbrella. I meant to say psychology and natural history and anthropology and all of these things, plus art, music, anything I can get my hands on. The exposure to all of this stuff means that I have a whole library of different things I can pull from. So once something inspires me, all of a sudden it's like a thousand little tiny hands are grabbing eight million books and shoving pictures in front of my face that combine all of these things together. And I'm like, okay, how can I take all of this stuff and now make something with it? And my biggest problem becomes not trying to find a way to be inspired, but trying to choose what to make because I feel true psychological discomfort at the idea that there are all of these things inside my head that I could be making, but I only have time to make so many. So everything, yes. I, and I love the fact that you're monetizing your anxiety by, <laughs> by writing stories about fearful things that could happen to your family. This, it's, it's great. Um, but no, I think it's, it's all those like neurons that fire all the time. Cause I'm the same way you were just in my head in terms of having all this stuff at play and you never know when it's just going to bubble to the surface. Right. And I guess this is the emotional equivalent of visual literacy, right? We've got some level of connection or we've consumed so much content that inevitably we will draw inspiration from that. But it, it, inspiration for me has always been this divine thing, but it got me thinking just as we're all sitting here, can inspiration be taught? Can you teach someone how to be inspired? Yes. Talk to me, coach. The answer is yes. Okay. So what I was, when I was describing the way that my brain worked, um, what I'm describing is at least for me, a kind of de facto, like it, it just happens because it happens. However, if I started to trace this back, I know I've mentioned this before. My kindergarten teacher wrote in a report to my mom, Nicole has a hard time distinguishing between fantasy and reality. So apparently <laughs> this has been going on for me from a very young age, but this was my escape. I mean, the world of fantasy was my escape from things when I was very small, from things that were difficult. And so I, I drug that with me into my adult life, but it's a habit of thought it's it's uh the it's the ruts it's the neurons that fire together wire together right and so the more i do it the more facile i get and the easier these things pop up so this isn't like watching a, a pot of water begin to boil and then one bubble comes up and bursts on the surface it's like a roiling bubble all the time and so then it just becomes well which thing do i choose out of all of this um but that's because I, I cultivate that without even realizing it. And so as Bassam was talking earlier about the fact that, you know, you don't necessarily go see something and all of a sudden get inspired by it and having a hard time cle clearing your mind, excuse me, having a hard time clearing your mind. I don't think you need to clear your mind in order to be inspired. I think you just need to allow your thoughts to go where they're gonna go. And you need to create an environment for yourself where that's okay. And for me, it's the shower. <laughs> so I literally, I don't just take showers to get clean. I take showers so that I can be by myself. And sometimes I will take showers in the dark with just a candle on and I will sit on the floor of the shower and just let 
the water pound on my head and my neck and my back and not think anything purposefully. I just sit there and be quiet. And I, I don't plan what I'm going to be thinking. So I'm not like, I better think about my book or I better think about whatever. I just let my thoughts go where they will. It's kind of like watching a dryer, watching the clothes spin in a dryer and then reaching in and pulling something out when it looks interesting. That's because it's a tumble of things and they don't always stay where they're supposed to be. But the more you practice actually picking things out of your brain, purposefully picking things, um, because you don't have a choice. So, sorry, I realize this is kind of, it's a difficult thing to explain, but basically you're building your library with everything you experience, every encounter you have, every emotion you feel, every time you watch a movie, read a book, see a poster, all of those things, you're building the library that exists inside your head. When it's time for inspiration, when I say that, I mean, you choose something, not just, ooh, a great idea pops up because that's, professional artists don't get to work that way. Professional artists have to show up and go to work, which means they don't just get to wait for the muses to poke them. They have to be doing the thing. They have to be writing or making or whatever it is. We don't just get to wait, which means you have to get really good at pulling from that visual library. And so it becomes a purposeful process and not just a thing that happens by circumstance. So if you have, all you need is a brief, right? All you need is a brief to start pulling. And maybe at first it doesn't feel like anything is happening, but you don't stop. You keep going, you keep adding and subtracting, looking at what you're putting together, asking yourself how it fits, moving things and shifting things. And before you know it, you actually have something there, which is why you have to trust the process. This is really, if you've ever tried to paint a portrait or draw a portrait, you will have experienced this. The first effort is a fucking mess. It looks like a smudge of all these colors and shadows and it's just a big lumpy gob of, you're like, how am I ever supposed to make a face out of this as you're blocking in shadows and it just looks a mess. But the more you work it and the more you start to like hone in on things, the more the portrait starts to come together. If you ever watch oil painters, you can watch them on like TikTok or Instagram or whatever, and you can see them speed paint. They will start with just a big blobby circle, often of not even the color that the face is gonna be. Sometimes it will be like a deep red brown or something. And as they start to add paint, slowly things come into focus. This is a lot like what the process is of inspiration, where you can start with one thing and choose to be inspired by it. So when you mentioned Parker's um, workshops, that is really what the process is like. Pick a thing, an orange, smell it, feel it, close your eyes and ask yourself questions. What does that smell mean? What does it feel like? It's sharp, it's citrus, it's bright. What does sharp and citrus and bright bring to you visually? And if you were to combine those visuals, how does that tell a story? What does it feel like? What are the emotions that are attached to that. In the Creativity Masterclass, one of the things that we're gonna do is take a fruit and give that fruit a story, and then you have to photograph the story without adding any props, with just light. You have to photograph the story. So if that apple is a space alien who has come to eat humanity, how would you photograph it? You can't put clothes on it and you can't use props. You can only light it. So how does light help tell that story? And that single prompt, all of a sudden becomes 
the motivating factor behind you pulling inspiration from your library. So the more you practice it, the more you start building those wagon tracks in your head. And soon, as soon as you have an idea, your brain is gonna kick into that habit loop and start pulling things from other places and going, okay, how do these fit together? Why am I thinking this when this pops into my head? So it absolutely becomes something that you can practice and learn to do, but you have to give yourself exposure to a lot of things. You have to give yourself quiet time where you can just allow your thoughts to race and not judge them or try to stop them or try to control them. And then you have to purposefully practice taking a prompt and drawing from those spaces to create something. Doesn't really matter what it is, as long as you move all the way through the practice and have an end product that you could ship. So I'm shutting up now. No, 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 keep going. I mean, there's there's a lot in there that makes me think of um, moving from inspiration. Do you feel like you always have to act on it? Is there an actualization phase or can you just be inspired? For example, uh, a couple weeks back, and I can't recall exactly when it was, you were talking about Roger Bannister, the guy that ran the four minute mile, right? Now I can look at Roger Bannister and say, that inspires me. I know that the human body can do incredible things. I am not going to get on the floor and do five sit-ups, never mind run a four minute mile. So it's not necessarily inspiring me to do the same thing, but it inspires me in a way that gives me hope and gives me gratitude towards, you know, other humans. Do you feel like, you know, inspiration without actualization is wasted? Or do you feel like you're just putting more coins in that bank in the brain? What's your thought on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're doing. And that inspiration that we feel is emotions, right? I mean, it's, it's not an inspiration toward, it's an inspiration within. And that going when, when I see a human do an act of kindness, particularly if it's a great act and it's unexpected, it's like, oh God, it just makes you feel so good. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean now I must go make something because of it, but it does mean this is something that I should be keeping note of because it's something that touches me. And where do those things happen the most, right? So we could be inspired as far as you have an emotions that were inspired by a circumstance. We can have that happen through almost anything, but many of us are gonna have a bent in certain directions. Obviously, mine is fantasy oriented. And so most of the time, when I feel the urge to make a thing, it's because I have deep roots inside of that thing. When I thought about writing a story about a son coming to manhood through having to care for his father, um, it's because I am raising three boys I have sons and the idea of manhood and what it means to be a man is really important to me as their mom. And so the things that then inspire toward motion are usually the things where you already have some kind of deep investment and it becomes a clue, right? It becomes like somebody sticking a little flag in the map. And if you look at enough of those flags from a distance, you'll see that they tend to gather in groups. And that lets you know if you are one of those people who are still looking for, I don't know, you know, what to pursue. If you step back a little bit and look at those planted flags, you'll see that they tend to be planted in certain areas 
And so while you can still be inspired to feel something, to be inspired to move, it's generally going to be within one of those flag areas. One of the books that I don't I'm... know if that makes sense. No, it, it, it does. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, it's got me thinking, I want to start hearing some inspirational moments of inspiration from those folks down in the audience. Um, I'd love if you guys have an example of inspiration or you want to talk about this a little bit, just raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage and we'll talk inspiration. But, you know, one of the one of the books that I'm working through right now, Nicole, I don't know if you've read it, is uh, Limitless by Jim Quick. And it's all about neuroplasticity. And I'm going to make sure that I don't wander into to David Parrish's lane here. But um, from the standpoint Coach of neuroplasticity. So Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so neuroplasticity is basically uh, exercising your brain, right? Constantly making it um, go in different directions so that you're, again, uh, the neurons that fire together, wire together, right? You're building new pathways. So exposing yourself to as many different um, situations or thinking about things, like you said, the orange on the table that's going to eat humanity. Um, you know, all of those things force you to think in different ways and your brain loves that exercise rather than just, okay, I'm going to retouch this photo the same way I've always done it, or I'm going to make this illustration the same way that I've always done it. Your brain is going to fall into those patterns and it'll become just basic behaviors. So, you know, constantly challenging yourself to have these little bits of exercises can build that neuroplasticity that can help you get to more moments of inspiration. But I did notice that John came up. Um, John, I'd love to hear what's going on. Hi, how are you, man? I'm great, man. What's up? Oh, I was just chiming in, listening to what you guys was talking about and found um, some similarities along what I tend to do most of my and my dreams and stuff so i tend to and i've trained myself to wake up um basically almost at the end of the dream and uh quickly jot it down so i keep next to my nightstand a um an artist pad so i can just quickly jot something down rather it be um a paragraph about what the dream was about or just draw stick figures depending on how, you know if i'm awake and generally when i wake up i'm awake so i can re recall the dreams um pretty which are pretty vivid and i've been doing this for the last maybe what four or five years um but it all started it's kind of interesting because it all started from an accident that i had and i was taking all these heavy drugs and stuff and um it just seems to open up some kind of part of my part of my imagination that um the creative component just kind of start to flow and instead of i you know i i guess what i taught taught myself to do was to embrace that and to you know take it uh, a little further than just you know drawing it down because what i do is i draw it out or sketch it out or, or write it out and then photograph it so it's kind of sort it's from a more sort of uh, point of view and stuff like that and like the other day I was out at the um, at this place I do a water painting series um, photographic water painting series um, <clears throat> I had been shooting there and then all of a sudden something just told me just stop shooting sit look listen to all the sounds that that's here and I mean you know I was listening to the water trickle I was listening to the ducks and the birds and all this stuff and you know that 
started me what started my mind to visualize um some other things to do to my artwork and uh yeah so that's what i've found has worked for me and and i find it interesting at times um the other day i was dreaming and for some strange reason i know why i woke up because i felt like i was drowning and i kept seeing myself um underwater and can't and you know being held down yet I was able to pop out of that and I don't know, maybe I woke up within a cold sweat more than anything else. But again, I wrote that down and then I had to figure out, okay, how do I go about creating this and stuff like that? So that's pretty much my, my method. <laughs> you know, it's fascinating to me, John, that, that you're able to remember your dreams like that. I've never been able to do that because I always wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to write this down and that's going to be amazing. And I never do it because, oh, it's too good. I'm never going to forget that. And it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. Like just never remember it. And the other thing you said, um, you know, you said when you had uh, an accident and you were under the, the influence of a lot of drugs and, you know, there might've been some, um, you know, more vivid dreams or different types of visions at that point. And I can totally understand, but I, I wonder if that's the same kind of thing that I was talking about a moment ago. And this is me thinking out loud is your brain was so relaxed that it was able to just free associate and do the things that it needs to do rather than being cluttered by all the other stuff. Right. And I'm not saying that's a, that's not me advocating for, you know, hallucinogens, although I will. But, I, but, 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 you know, I think there's something to that of being able to put your brain in a different level, a uh, different type of state that will allow you to just relax a little bit more and explore those, you know, further reaches of your mind. So yeah, really, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Cause what I, what, what happened? Um, okay. So, you know, during this time I had this major accident, I had to keep going into the, um, uh, psychiatrist uh, every six weeks to give a report on my condition and what was, you know, what I was feeling and all this, because it was a five year recovery period is what they told me. And that was a big shock to my system because I've never been injured in my life. So, I mean, you know, not even a scratch basically. And then here I am, you know, 64 having a major injury. Um, so I couldn't really cope with it well. But they did teach me how to relax a little bit more through breathing. Um, a combination of breathing and music basically is what I tend to do. So every night before I go to bed, I tend to go through a, a breathing exercise and, and listen to music for about an hour and a half. I have it on my phone. It goes, it turns off automatically after an hour and a half of playing. And that really calms me, puts me in a really relaxed state and as i was reading um what's his name uh, sigmund freud and um carl june and what's this, what's this artist's name uh, oh salvador dali i was reading about um some well one of mine a friend of mine told me to just you know pick up these books and have a read you might discover something in it you know one was about interpretation of dreams and stuff like that and um yeah, I mean, it was pretty heavy duty uh, reading, that's for sure, from uh, from Freud, but it was very entertaining and light reading from uh, Salvador Dali. And I mean, for me, it was just trying to understand 
what was going on. You know, I don't know if I really wanted to understand it, but I know I needed to embrace it and I needed to figure out how to embrace it. And so from those various books, I was able to figure out how to quote, retain, how to open it up and how to reach, how to open it up, view it and retain it so that I could uh, recall it when I woke up. And like I said, generally I wake up right after the dream. I, it's, it's like any dream I have, I immediately wake up and that's just training myself to do that. It's amazing. And I love how you're, you're able to translate that into your photography. Um, mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for yeah, sharing all of thank that. Thank you. Um, all right. Anybody else down in the audience, if you do have, you know, any stories like that, or you want to talk about inspiration or ask us any questions, just come on, just raise your hand. But Nicole, I saw you just kind of unmuted. What's up? A coyote. Oh my God. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> no, it's great. I'm walking back and I'm walking in the Arroyo. So I'm down at the bottom of like a, 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 dr a drain basically. And a coyote comes up over and he's coming down the path and he's watching me. He's like, I don't know if I can trust her. I stopped moving entirely. He went across and up the other side and then he went right by me and he's watching me the whole time. Like, is she going to move? Is she going to get me? But I didn't. And it was great. <laughs> it was such a pretty coyote too. It was obviously very healthy. That was great. Okay. First, um, what you said, John, I love that. There's a story, a really cool story. I don't know how much truth is in it, but we've heard the term, uh, when the penny drops, right? And supposedly this is like probably a proverb, but I think it really fits with what you were describing. Supposedly Benjamin Franklin, who's obviously one of the most prolific inventors in the history of the United States and maybe the world, I don't know, but he would apparently, he would sit um, in his chair, his comfortable chair, he would put a little tray underneath his knees and then between his knees, he would hold a penny and he would sit there in the evenings and slowly fall asleep. And once he would actually hit sleep and his legs would relax, the penny would drop and he would write down whatever it was that he was thinking in that moment of uh, lucidity that you have, like right before you fall asleep. We've all experienced this, right? So the reason this is important is also the reason it's important. Well, Matt was mentioning, you know, sometimes psychedelics or hypertrophic, hypertrophic breathing um, and other things help you access a part of your brain that is generally only reserved for either sleep or, or really unique brain states. The reason for that is because when you're awake, you only have access to kind of your executive capabilities, right? Like you don't control your breathing, um, you can, but your heart is going to beat on its own. You know what I'm saying? Your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, the reason is because your brain waves start to shift. You have alpha waves, beta waves, um, which are the, the two most common. They happen when you're awake or when you are, you know, just starting to fall into sleep. And then you have delta and theta waves. And these different brain states happen during different activities of relaxation. And so most of us take those times for granted, like right before we start to fall asleep. And you know, Matt, you were talking about having a really great idea and thinking to yourself, that's so great. I could never forget it. It's bullshit. You have to stop what you're doing and write it down right now. Um, Cause you absolutely will forget it. I do it all the time. But once you start to get into those states, that's when you're able to free associate. That's when those different parts of your library start becoming a lot more available. And, Yogis can do this. 
people who have practiced meditation for a super long time can get themselves into these um, these alpha states and sometimes even these theta states where they are moving almost into transcendental meditation where you, you're just not even inside your own body anymore, which is also why people have really moved throughout the history of humanity, have really moved toward drugs or different kind of pharmacology that helps them step outside of what their conscious ability to think is. So in, in a real way, you're accessing parts of your brain that you would not otherwise be able to access. So when you were, when you mentioned this is not necessarily, you know, advocating for drug use or anything, this is something that humans have been seeking after since forever. If you go read the book, Catching Fire, it is so interesting. And it really does talk about our ability to get into these different neurological states where we can access different ways of thinking and talks about different things that you can do. So when I mentioned in the shower, um, essentially that is, that is a form of meditation. What I'm doing is allowing the water to kind of distract my sensory, um, you know, my sensory abilities and then just letting my brain do its own thing without judgment. That's essentially a form of meditation. Um, so you can get yourself into these states in various different ways from hyperexertion to breathing exercises, um, which of, of which there are many, including things like tumult, um, where people are able to control their body temperature and do other things. But there are a lot of different ways that you can get yourself into these states that are inherently creative in nature because they facilitate your access to all these different parts of your brain. So. Um, that's one of the things that I teach in the creativity masterclass is how to make it easier to fall into those states. And we've talked about habit before, but the more that you build habit and ceremony around your ability to fall into these different brain states, the easier it is for it to happen. So you can access flow a lot more quickly. You can fall into um, these alpha and uh, delta theta waves. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Sorry, my brain is working too fast. Which one is sleep? I think it's delta that you can't access without something and theta sometimes you can get into through meditation. But in any case, there are things that you can do to facilitate having access to those spaces, um, which is why what John had to say was so fantastic because he's essentially trained himself to wake up during those times, which is he's proof that that is a thing you can do and you can access those areas through different ways and train yourself to be able to do it, which is why I was saying inspiration is something that can be trained. It's interesting uh, what you, all of you brought up, it kind of made me think that I do have ways of, of not turning my brain off, but stimulating uh, creativity or, or innovation or, or thought process. And they are something you mentioned. One of them is being uh, taking a shower. I find that a lot of my inspiration and a lot of things that I work out, I end up working out in the shower. I yeah, remember high five I, for I, the shower. Club. Yeah, when I, was in, uh, when I was in my corporate job, I had a big team, I had thousands of employees, and I did, I did speak in front of them quite often, multiple times a year. So whether it's hundreds of people or thousands of people, and I never had an issue with making a presentation in front of thousands of people. So I would have the presentation ready, I know what I'm going to say, I know the subject very well, but I would be completely at a loss until I figure out how am I going to open up the presentation and how am I going to close it, right? Which is completely, you know, has nothing to do realistically, really with the actual content of the presentation. 
And I found that I always found it in the shower the morning of the speech or the morning of the presentation. Right? So that kind of reminded me of that. So, uh, so what that tells me is that, that maybe that's something that I should explore and actually train myself <laughs> to take a lot of showers, which I do, but, but, but I think uh, there's something to, 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 to think about there. The other thing I noticed is a lot of the things that I'm stuck on, and when I say stuck, I'll give you an example. Uh, in my consulting work, I, I, I do a lot of data analysis and I do business analysis and I come back to the customer with recommendations. And, I, and usually I like to take the data and turn it into something telling, turn it into a trend, turn it into a picture, a visual that actually tells a story. And I find that often I have the data, I have the information, but I'm stuck on how I'm going to make it impactful. And most of the times I find it while I'm taking a walk. Right, so I find that when I take walks, which I don't do much, uh, that's when my brain is more lucid, and maybe it's the extra oxygen, maybe it's the outdoor. I usually don't really care much about whether I'm indoor or outdoor, but you're making me think about it. You really are making me think that maybe those are two avenues that, for me, uh, work and I should explore. You should. You just touched on two of mine, which is why we go for this walk in the morning. <laughs> um, and I noticed that my lucidity is high when I'm taking a walk. And so that is why I now have a treadmill under my desk, guys. So um, I can't always use it, particularly if I'm illustrating. I obviously need a really steady hand, but I realized that while my body is in motion, my brain has time to do all the things. And so now I have a treadmill underneath my desk. So when I'm writing or when I'm doing things that don't require you know, an illustrative hand, I can walk and type at the same time. It is easy as pie. It doesn't take very long to get used to it. And it absolutely, I mean, it obviously does all kinds of good things for you. But Basam, I would so much encourage you to explore both of those things because I cannot tell you how many creative problems I have solved going for a walk, particularly where writing is concerned and I'm working with 300,000 words worth of story that I have to make something fit into that I didn't think I could. And all of a sudden the solution pops up and smacks me in the face and I can't believe I didn't see it before. And it's all while I'm going for a walk. So I would, I would definitely encourage you to try that more. And uh, not today, it's minus 25 Celsius, which is about minus whatever, 20 Fahrenheit here. So I yeah, so maybe not it. today. All right, guys, as we get to the end of the hour here, um, if anybody else has anything that they want to contribute, just go ahead and raise your hand. Come on up. But um, while we wait for that, I wanted to give everybody a chance for their final thoughts. So um, final thoughts, mods, anything. Getting out of the to-do and just into the present um, is hugely motivating. Agreed. Being present, uh, mindfulness. Oh, there's nothing better. Nothing better. Well, I think anybody else, like, you ahead. know, like the going for walks and walking it on a treadmill and taking a shower, right? You were literally just in a present moment experiencing life, which allows you to catch the light on the flower petal or let your mind wander when we're in that like to do go state. It's not it's not as accessible. I love that cat. And I wanted to piggyback on that for a second. Um, 
C.S. Lewis has a really great explanation of this. He talks about the fact that when you're experiencing something, you cannot analyze it. And when you analyze something, you inherently cannot experience it. And he likens that to, um, there's this great thing called meditations in a tool shed. And he wrote it about, he went into his tool shed in the garden. And when he w goes inside, there is a beam of light coming through a crack in the doorway. And when you're standing outside the beam of light, you can see where it's coming from. You can see where it's going. It casts some illumination so you can see some things around it. But while you're looking at it, you have no idea what it feels like to be standing inside the beam of light. And then when you shift a couple feet and you stand inside the beam of light, all of a sudden everything changes, right? Like you can feel the warmth and you can see the dust motes and you can, et cetera, et cetera. And so once when we are actively in a moment, we don't have, as soon as we start to analyze the moment, we step out of being in it, which is why I don't bring my camera with me when I go on family trips. Um, I don't bring my camera with me when I go to do and experience things because I will immediately move from what it feels like to be there to how can I compose these things to make a compelling image. And it completely changes the experience of the occasion. So I'm 100% I'm on board with you there. And I did wanna share this quote. I don't know who said it first, but the time I heard it was listening to an interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he was talking about the painting Starry Night by Van Gogh. And he said, you know, he obviously didn't paint what it looked like to stand on that hill looking down at the city with the stars overhead. He painted what it felt like, or he painted what it felt like. And I thought that that was just a really beautiful way to think about experiencing the moment instead of being always in analyze mode. Agreed. I can't, you know, I, I started the whole conversation with talking about quieting my mind and trying to keep myself in that place where I'm receptive to whatever images come. And however you do that, be it through walks or beams of light or mounds and mounds of mushrooms, like however you get to that state to find that inspiration that you need, just keep doing it because that's what keeps your brain kind of functioning at a higher state. Um, Guys, this has been great. And thank you for bearing with me as <laughs> I, I impersonated Nicole poorly um, for the past hour. But we'll be back tomorrow, of course, at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and then somewhere in the middle for all the other places in the world. Um, thank you for, for showing up today. Spread the word. We're trying to do some good things here at the Artist Forge. And the more folks you can bring in, send to the website, listen to the podcast, read the articles, all the stuff really helps us kind of keep doing this every single day. So um, until tomorrow, go make something amazing and we'll see you in the morning. Bye guys. And don't forget on Thursday, our live stream, we're gonna be announcing the winners of the scholarship uh, for the Artist Forge. So I hope you can join us then as well. Perfect, Kat, thank you. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at The Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.